and welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Welcome to this edition of the IOM3 Investigates podcast. The team at Diamond Light Source have been working with conservators for over a decade on items found on Henry VIII's warship, which sank in the Solent. Raised in the 1980s, the Mary Rose has given great insight to life on board. New work has provided information on the degradation processes and resulting products found within the wood. Our guests today are the Head of Conservation and Collections Care at the Mary Rose Trust, Professor Eleanor Schofield, and Giantonio Chibin, the Principal Beamline Scientist at Diamond Light Source. So welcome, thank you both for speaking with me today. Can you both give me a little bit of background about how you came into your current roles? Giantonio, would you like to start? Yes, I'm a physicist and I've been training in synchrotron radiation techniques in Frascati, near Roma. That was the historical Italian synchrotron lab. And I joined Diamond as a beamline scientist since the construction phase of the beamline in 2006. Uh, the beamline is the instrument where these uh, experiments were undertaken, and I took the role responsible for these instruments in uh, 2016. And Eleanor, yourself? Yeah, hi. Um, so I, my training is in material science and engineering. Um, I actually started out um, then working at synchrotron sources like Diamond on various different research projects, and that eventually landed me working with the Merrows Trust whilst at the University of Kent. So it, at that point, it was looking at problems within the wood. But obviously, there's a there's a much wider application of with our collection. We want to understand what the materials are, what they're made of, how they're degraded, and then develop ways to understand them and to um, stabilize them if needed. So I moved to the Mayor's Trust in 2012 as the conservation manager, and since 2016 have been the head of conservation collections care. So broadly. My job is everything to do with looking after that collection and essentially safeguarding it for the future. Thank you. So obviously, knowledge of the ship herself and the conservation techniques are still evolving. Eleanor, can you talk me through how the Mary Rose was initially treated? Yeah, so the ship, so probably important to note at this point, alongside the ship, we raised over 19,000 artifacts. So it is quite a huge collection and there is a whole range of different materials. So both inorganic and organic. Um, The ship itself is made of wood, predominantly of oak. So this was brought into the dry dock in Portsmouth Historic Dockyard and initially was sprayed with cold water. Now this was to stop any bacterial activity and also to keep it wet so it didn't dry out. Whilst the wood is in really good condition considering how old it is and it's been in the sea for that long, there is some degradation and when it was wet, that's kind of what would keep lending it, keeping its structural stability. So what we didn't want to do was dry it and then have all that water fly out, out of it and then you would get shrinkage and crackage and things like that. So the ship has been play, uh, sprayed with polyethylene glycol 
it was sprayed with it for 19 years, two different grades of it, to go into the wood and essentially replace the water that's there so that when we did start drying it, which we started in 2013, we were we knew that the peg would stay there and lend some structural support to the wood as it dried. 19 years, that's, um, that's a long time to, to stand there and watch the spraying. Well, it's not quite that. So there's quite a lot to do during that time. Um, so it's two different grades of it. I mean, it's interesting, actually, that at that point, there's, it was much more on the maintenance team side of things because you had a, a, a huge tank with liquid in. So it starts as water and you incrementally add the pegs. So that was a kind of daily job, checking all the spray systems, all the pumps, all the heating, the cooling, the filters, the spray patterns. It was a huge, huge job. Um, a very slowly increasing the concentration. And actually, between the two sets of pegs that we sprayed with, we had to change the entire spray system because it was a different peg and it needed heating up. And then, so yeah, it all had to be revisited. So it, it sounds like it was kind of turn the sprays on and, uh, and leave it going for 19 years. But the truth is very, very far from that. <laughs> These are the joys of science that nobody ever knows until they're actually uh, doing it. So... Heritage science obviously prevents a lot of challenges. We're, we're trying to preserve these things, but we want to know about them. So obviously non-destructive testing is really important. What specific challenges do organic materials present for the conservation team? Um, well, I mean, the whole, the whole collection in, in lots of ways is a huge challenge in terms of non-destructive testing. I I came into the world of heritage having worked um, as a material scientist, but with with samples that you could completely destroy or things that you could be like, right, you know, you have all these tools at your hands and you could hack a sample straight down the middle and have a proper look what was there. So it was actually a real adjustment moving into the heritage environment because you just can't do that. And you have to make these assumptions based on the information you have, which as long as you kind of, you know, qualify them or quantify, quantify them as much as you can, it's okay. But it, it takes a bit of getting used to, I have to say, it was quite frustrating at first. In terms of the, the wood, what, what can be really challenging, and again, this is the same for all of them, but the, it's, it's not a uniform degradation. So you can have one bit of wood that's really degraded. You could move a few millimetres and it could be absolutely fine. And it's all to do with the different pathways, where it, you know, how it was buried, what artifacts were near it, what bacteria got near it, and how effective the conservation treatment has been there. Um, and that is the same with some of the other research we've done, looking at things that are in the wood that shouldn't be there from the marine environment, that they are, you know, they're completely scattered throughout, but not in any kind of uniform way. So when you're taking samples, you want to take very small samples, but you have to apply a heavy amount of caution of thinking that that tiny sample you've taken is telling you what's happening with the whole ship you just can't do that so so we kind of try and balance it and take so for the study that we've done recently looking at the wood as it dried at diamond we took samples from around the ship tried to space it out as much think about the different drying patterns of how it would be so we could be confident that we've taken the best representation representation we could without kind of leaving a, a ship with holes all over the place which obviously we don't want <laughs> lovely thank you Giantonio. so this is where you and your team come in in the recent project that looked at samples from the wood. Your team used X-ray absorption near-edge spectroscopy and X-ray fluorescence techniques. How were you involved and what did you discover? Uh, well, I was involved after the first exploratory works uh, done on the microfocus beamline, which is the instrument IE-TEEN, which is next to us, actually. 
and already at the time involved uh, in Mary Rose and Kent University. Uh, after this first investigation, Bietin uh, turned out that Bietin had characteristics that uh, are ideal to progress with the research that was started there. Uh, Bietin is uh, specialized, you know, every instrument at Diamond is specialized in, separate, in different techniques, so they are often complementary. And uh, we do uh, mainly X-ray absorption spectroscopy, which is a technique that is in practice available only at the, at, at the synchrotrons. The, there are no real lab machines that can do the same work. And the technique is element-specific. Uh, that means that you can select a single component of a complex material and get information on its chemical state. In this case, it was the sulfur. So you are able to extract the signal from the sulfur from the, the rest of the background. In this case, the wood, but other components as well. And the information in the chemical state does not, getting this information in the chemical state does not need a special preparation, which is, again, is ideal for the case of materials that are pretty disordered as natural systems, and, and the wood is definitely a case. Uh, so Bietin was selected because it has this ability to provide X-ray absorption spectroscopy, X-ray fluorescence, uh, data collection, and has also other advantages. Uh, in our case, uh, we have a certain flexibility, we are fast, we could take relatively large samples because the, the samples that the Mary Rose uh, ship was providing us are not really tiny. Now it needs to be handled, uh, and they are relatively big for a secure environment. And also, clearly, Bietina can access this sulfur, which is in a particular area of energy of X-rays that is not really common. At the same time, Bietina's work can provide a slightly bigger beam than the one you can get on a specific microfocus beam lines. So we wanted to have a better averaging over relatively large areas of, of the piece of wood to have a more statistically significant... We're data. really lucky to have access to... Uh to Diamond in the UK, it's provided a lot of excellent materials research that certainly we've covered in our membership magazine, Materials World. So looking at the different products that you managed to isolate, what did it tell you about the degradation of the wood and how the different products formed? So our, our whole collection, a lot of the time, the, the problems that we have with it are because there is stuff in it that shouldn't be there. So if you think that this whole collection was in the seawater for hundreds of years, also had artifacts which may have corroded or degraded and then had bits of it dissolve into other artifacts, you end up with, yeah, quite sometimes quite surprising things in them. In the case of the wood, what you find often in there is sulfur and iron. So sulfur is from the seawater and iron is, there is in seawater, but also there was lots of iron artifacts which did corrode. So they kind of migrated into the wood. And what happens is when they're in the sea and they're under the seabed in a very relatively low oxygen conditions, nothing much changes. But when you expose them to, to air, so specifically when we were starting to dry them, we knew that they could change. And this is when we decided to set up the project with Diamond Light Source because this was a way that we could take samples and monitor it real time. And this was actually the first time that this has been done. So the, the phenomenon of the sulfur problem, as it's called, was known. Particularly, it had been worked on a lot with the Vasa, which is a Swedish warship, which is actually younger than the Meros, but was raised before the Meros. And they, they noticed that they were getting these salts forming. And so they did a whole load of work. Actually, at the, the synchrotron out in Stanford in the States, they worked with them and they looked at what was there and kind of traced this back to 
its origins from being in the seawater. So we had a bit of a heads up of knowing that this could potentially happen. And that's why we, we set up the program at work. So we would take these samples from the ship, we would seal them up, we would drive up the road to Diamond and analyze, analyze them. And so what we could see over time is how they, how they changed. And then additional work we did within the Mary Rose was to look at if we could correlate that to how the waters degraded. So some of the work that we published recently was showing those initial stages. So in the first kind of six months, how the, how the sulfur in there did indeed change, um, that you were getting more oxidized sulfur and that this can cause a problem, and that this also did correlate with, with more degraded wood. So all of this just, there's still, I mean, there's still a lot of work to do. We still have a lot of data to go through um, because we kind of periodically looked every year. So we're, we're now turning to that and looking how it's changed over time. And all of this we can then use to think, right, well, if we, we can't, we don't, apart from this data, you can't physically see that it's an issue with the wood yet, but that doesn't mean that it's not there and could be a threat in the future. So all of this is kind of arming us with the information. So should we need to do a treatment at some point, we know what's there. So we know, and not just that we know the things that are there that are a problem, like we found other elements there that we weren't really aware of before. So that's then prompted us to look at them. Well, where, where did they come from? Why are they there? Are they, are they going to be an issue? Um, and also then we, we've looked at other techniques where not only, so with the, with the work we've done at Diamond, you can look kind of almost as a bulk of what's there in the sample. But then we've done other experiments where we're mapping that and looking, doing more um, tomography to look where it is in the wood, because it's all very well knowing what's there, but where is it? Because if I have to then develop a treatment, I don't just need to know the chemistry of how it's going to you know, remove it or neutralize it. I need to know where it needs to get to in the wood. So they're the kind of things we've, we've found out so far and continue to. Honestly, I think it's a continual surprise, the things we find in there. And then you kind of have to be, I find myself digging through literature on seawater and the marine environment and then looking through. We have all the records from in the archaeological archive. There's really meticulous records of what was found where. So I can even go to be like, right, well, this was from this day in the ship. Like what else was found in there? Or I can talk to one of our curators. So we. We're lucky enough to have two of our um, curators who still work here were divers on the wreck site. So they like actually will remember this and be like, yeah. And, and sometimes if you're really lucky, they will have they will have been the diver that did that. So you can look at these cards and then go and say, oh, actually, you know, what, 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 what else was in this bay? What was there? And then you can look at what the materials were and sometimes think, oh, well, that's where it might come from. So, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> So it uh, it sounds like uh, you and Diamond are going to be working together for a long time on uh, on this and discovering more surprises as we go through it. So obviously, this project is is hugely feeding into how the Mary Rose is is treated and will do for many years. So what are you planning on looking at next? So we've looked, we've actually had a project running, again, this is with, with Gian Antonio and with Diamond, looking at some of our iron cannonballs. We've had a, around a four-year project and we're just embarking on another one now. And this is, again, because there's things in the iron which causes problems. So in this case, it's the chlorine from the salt in the seawater. And this can then, with various other factors, can create corrosion products which can physically just break apart and destroy the the iron cannonballs and under the iron artifacts that we may have for that for that matter. So we've been using diamond to look in all kinds of different ways of how what the corrosion is, correlating it to different conservation treatments, doing tomography on the iron to look where the corrosion is relative to the surface, relative to the cracks, relative to the treatments, 
Um, and then also as well, actually, really excitingly, we've done some long duration experiments. So the way that somewhere like Diamond typically works is that you you apply, you go through a, a peer review panel, and if you're ranked high enough, you get you get time. And it's it's very it's very competitive. I think San Antonio can correct me on this, but I think sometimes on his beam line, you've got like a one in four chance of getting time, something like that. Yeah, it can happen very often. Yeah, so you really need to be selected like on the peer review panel evaluating the level of importance of your science to, to get access you have a strong competition round. So, so it is, it, you know, you really need to make your case of not only why it's important science, but why it's important science now. Why does it need to be done today? <laughs> and but one of the things that can be quite challenging is because then you get your time and it can be, you know, uh, it's, it's split up into eight hour shifts, but it runs 24 hours a day. So you get there and you use your time efficiently. But it typically will be a kind of, you know, a couple of days, a few days, something like that. And, and for, lots, for lots of people, that can be challenging. In, in conservation, the way it can be challenging is if you want to check a treatment, sometimes that treatment will take time. And as I said before, the samples are, are quite heterogeneous. So what you don't want to do is test one piece of wood as its base state and then treat another piece of wood and do that. You don't really know that it's the same thing you're looking at. So what one of the beamlines at Diamond, what they have is these long duration experiments where they have a, one of their experimental hutches that, so where, where the sample is put. They have a whole suite of different experiments in and robotic arms that come in. So once a week, your, your samples are run. So in the case of the iron corrosion work, we had different iron and iron corrosion products. We had them in a solution. And then once a week, they'd be taken out and analyzed and then put back in again. And that ran for kind of over, over a year, which I think it still is the only synchrotron way you can do that and might be wrong it's pretty unique yes but it is it's amazing for, for for lots of different things but like say for heritage to be able to say you know because the, the first start of the first part of the project was right we've got these different cannibals and this is a different we did these different treatments and this is what we have now so it's kind of like a retrospective look back which is super useful but to be able to start a base and be like right let's pull these in there and see what happens over time is is really, really helpful. And we've seen some, we're still, again, again, something that produces epic amounts of data. So we're still kind of going through that at the moment, but it's um, it's really interesting. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to to use that beamline with some of our other materials. So for example, with the wood, where we've seen that these these ashes and salts can form can be a, and can be a problem. Again, it's only kind of once it's happened that I've seen it. What I would really like to do is look at it as it happens and then really understand the processes and where in the wood is being attacked. So really what this explains is that the expertise of both the heritage knowledge but also the high-tech work that we get from somewhere like Diamond is hugely important in saving these items for the nation and for future generations. So Giantonio, do you have to hugely changed the setup in the beamline for the different items being looked at sort of is a cannonball does everything have to be treated differently for a cannonball from a a piece of wood or does it all flow through in the usual way for for your team Uh, it depends really the the conservation side is particularly challenging actually for us for beating because we are a beamline that provides most of the, the, the results uh, in the daily work in bulk chemistry, let's say. So we have catalysts, uh, batteries, um, environmental sciences, uh, type of samples for soil remediation and so on. 
the, the fact that you have heritage materials often requires a different handling. You need to be careful. The conditions are not exactly the same. The fact you need to deal with materials that are not really homogeneous um, requires you to be able to point at the right place that actually makes sense for the scientist that is uh, you know, directly interested in having the results from uh, the, the people of the, of the wooden core, for example, and uh, making a profile. And has been good in time, uh, this, this uh, you know, continuous presence of the Marie-Rose uh, diamond on biotin in particular, because it's helped us as well to develop some techniques that has been after applied as well to other, other cases. So we had developed an experimental chamber specifically for the Marie-Rose because the first experiment we had were okay, but not particularly well uh, now optimized. We realized where the pitfalls were, where the additional work could be done to improve the data collection efficiency, the data collection quality, the reproducibility. And so those are challenges that are brought that are, let's say, in some sense, unusual for uh, someone that does uh, uh, batteries now for a lot of the time, but actually is a development that is challenging you and is bringing you forward and allows you to provide also a better service to the rest of the community. So, Giantonio, clearly you've really enjoyed working on this project. Um, what did you enjoy the most and what surprised you most about what you found? Uh, enjoying, clearly, uh, being a large uh, scale uh, for us. I mean, kind a driver and uh, is a motivation for what we do. Now, it's what we enjoy every day. I mean, meeting uh, our researcher from all areas of, of, of science. Clearly, in this case, is even more uh, work with the heritage research, uh, combined with the fact of being an Italian scientist, you know, Italy conservation and, uh, is extremely important. Obviously, you know, a, a pleasure. Um, as I said, uh, on one side as well, the challenge is interesting. Uh, having to deal with materials to be uh, carefully treated, uh, handled, uh, developing systems that help you as well to bring uh, results and techniques to other, to other fields is, is fantastic. In terms of surprise, uh, well, I mean, we are scientists, so you could say surprise is always around the corner, you know, or another. And particularly, I'd say, in, uh, in, in instrumentation that is advanced and that is, you know, is pushing things. Techniques are advanced, are there, are necessary because uh, the problems that the community brings to you are, are difficult. Often they, they are not easy. So in some sense, every time you get the results, you hope it's a relief. You say, oh, okay, <laughs> that works. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, that also means that uh, sometimes you don't uh, not take for granted that you are able to get some information. And the surprise comes up. Uh, I make an example of the cannonballs that we study on the Mary Rose. Uh, we were able to get the chemical state of chlorine that was left in the cannonballs after so many washings. That was not to be given for granted. So you expect it not to be there. But you know it's causing corrosion, right? You need to give it a go. You need to give it a try and try and get the signal from the chemical state of this chlorine and check is it actually participating to mechanism that will lead to, to the degradation of the materials? Actually, yes. So surprises are the results in some sense. Thank you. So again, it's a check, check and double check to make sure that You've actually got what you think you have. Eleanor, you must have one of the best jobs ever. Seriously, just just getting to deal with all these all these things. But what would you say maybe is your favorite artifact that you've worked with on the Merry Rose? Um 
I'm going to cheat and I'm going to answer this in two different ways. Because on the one hand, obviously, I look at this work head on and as a material scientist and trying to stabilize materials. But then I am just like a, a normal human being, I was going to say that. But I also can appreciate the collections, you know, so I go there without that head on. So if it's work-wise, I probably have to say the ship, just because when I first started working there, it was my remit basically to get the ship ready for drying. And there's been so many different aspects of research from that. The project that we've talked about, we've also had late, full laser scans done of the ship to look at movement. Um, we've got people looking at the water and the peg and modeling the interaction of that with the wood. We also have work looking at the environment around the ship and how we keep that stable and energy efficiency. So it's just this like huge field of research which is both daunting and wonderful and will keep me busy for a very long time. In terms of as a, as a kind of visitor to the museum, the things that I really, really like are the kind of everyday objects. So things like the, the we have these beautiful little um, wooden knit cones and we have a lovely little wooden spoon. There's something just very simple about them. And I think it's because in our collection, often you don't get the kind of, normal everyday people stuff surviving but in ours everything was captured it's those things that I, I kind of find quite fascinating in their in their simplicity and often how similar they are to things that we use now so they were fine 500 years ago and they're fine now um, and that just makes it makes it very real that this was a, a story about the, the people that were on that ship and that's that's everything that we're trying to do right to, to tell their story and to to keep the things going for as long as possible so keep, people can come to our museum and enjoy them hopefully as much as we do. Wonderful, thank you. And uh, yeah, knit combs are something that crop up in archaeology all across the world for all sorts of different societies. And obviously, also having a primary age daughter, I can tell you we still need them. <laughs> it's very funny, actually. Diamonds sometimes have these, these open days, which obviously they don't at the moment, but when they do, again, people should definitely check it out because you get to kind of look in all of the machinery and typically there'll be people there describing their work. So sometimes the Mary Rose is there. And so we do quite a few things like that, going out and taking bits of the collection. When you take the Nick home, it's amazing how some people will be like, oh yeah, I know what that is. And some people try to just completely deny it. And it's like, everybody knows what a Nick home is. And if you haven't had it, you know someone that has. <laughs> but every so often you get someone that's like, no, 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 I've never, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Oh dear, Jantonio, do you have a favourite item that you've worked with through this project? Apart from the Meridol's pieces, right? Yeah. <laughs> Difficult to say. Uh, again, every time you have a, an object that has survived for, you know, five, six hundred years, you're, you're pretty honoured to, to have the possibility to have it around. We had a lot. Not only Mary Rose, clearly some, some other, not very often uh, art and archaeology experiments happen on Biadin, on, on my instrument. Again, apart from the Mary Rose, uh, we were so lucky to have a piece of Leonardo, for example. That was beautiful. Again, in Italian, you have a piece of Leonardo in your hands, not from the Windsor collection. That's a quite, quite a satisfaction, yes. <laughs> yeah, I can, uh, I can see the proud Italian in you and obviously all the Italian heritage as well that soon hopefully we'll be allowed to travel again and, and see a bit more of. So guys, what are you planning on working on next? There's a, a whole raft of things that you could look at. What, what gets priority? 
So the things that get priority are essentially things that are showing problems, right? So we first started looking at the wood because we knew we were drying the ship and there, would, there was the potential for this problem to happen. The iron cannonballs, again, it was because some of them were deteriorating. So to be able to develop a kind of conservation strategy moving forward, we needed to understand what was happening. So some of the latest work and that we'll be building on is looking at some of our bricks. So we have bricks from the galley. And we actually have thousands of them. It's one that's quite surprising to people. And they suffer in a similar way to the wood. So some of the sulfur ion compounds have got into them. And if they are left in a, a, an environment where the humidity varies a lot, what happens is that the, the, the salts form and then they go into a liquid and then they recrystallize. And every time they recrystallize, they get bigger and bigger. And eventually they can just kind of break the, the brick apart. So at the end of 2019, we did some initial experiments at Diamonds, just looking at some of those salts to try and understand what they are. They're, they're complicated because there's lots of different phases in the same place, hence why we need to use something like somewhere like Diamonds, where you get very good resolution for such experiments. So we're kind of at the beginning of looking looking at those. So the, and the wood and the, the, the work on the wood and the iron continues. And yeah, so Brick's the next one on the list. So bricks, there'll be a whole different range of things that are affecting those. So we're looking at where the clay came from, how it was fired, because obviously conditions will probably not have been as controlled as they are at present. And also, I'm assuming that they were probably used to support the stoves and so on on the ship, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the galley on the ship, it would have had a, a metal cauldron basically inside, so it would have been holding that. But yeah, so, so mostly at the moment it's focusing on determining what you can, you can physically just see without any kind of microscope, you can see some of these salts. So the initial stages have just been to understand what they are and then it'll, it'll, it'll go on from there. Cool. You can see that sometimes if you walk past an, a new build house, you sometimes see efflorescence on the outside of the bricks at, at present. So yeah, you can get an idea of, of how it might look to the naked eye, but um, it'll be good to see. Yeah, exactly. It's quite, it's quite funny actually, because some of, the, um, some of them as well, you, you kind of see them and then we've done microscopy on them, so like scanning electron mic- microscopy, and they do actually create beautiful images. <laughs> I kind of have to stop myself. And it's the same Jan Antonio can vouch at the beamline that we'll look at some data and like from a scientific point of view, it's really, really interesting. And I kind of have to hold back my enthusiasm because the implications of it sometimes aren't that good for the collection. So I figure like, oh, isn't that interesting? Oh no, wait, that's not good. That's not a good thing. <laughs> and it was the same with these salts. Yeah, some of these they just look beautiful, but not so good for the bricks. <laughs> oh, Jan Antonio, you've got a a huge project ahead of you there then. So. Uh, yeah, it looks like we need to talk, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, having just set you up with a, another piece of work there, thank you both for this fascinating insight into your work. One of the papers we've been talking about, the formation of chemical degra- degraders during the conservation of wooden Tudor shipwreck, can be read online in Chem Plus Chem. You've been listening to IOM3 Investigates the Mary Rose with guests Professor Eleanor Schofield and Giantonio Chibin from Diamond Light Source. Thank you both. Thanks very much. For more information about us, visit iom3.org. Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at iom3 on Twitter 
and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.